Hello and welcome to Parsha on a Pod. My name is Yechiel Schaffer. I'm the rabbi of the Pikesville Jewish Congregation here in Maryland. As I mentioned last week, we have up until this book, up until Sefer Dvarim, been offering simply a review, a summary of the Parshiot. For Sefer Dvarim, since itself is Moshe's summary, uh, we can't really offer a summary of a summary. So we're going to be focusing on one Pasuk, one idea, one question, on each Aliyah, encouraging you to open up the Aliyot, encouraging you to take a look at what Moshe has to share, what his final words are to us and every generation of Jews. This week we will take a look at Parshat Ekev, a parsha that is rich, rich with a focus on Eretz Yisrael, rich with meaning and a focus on the actualization of the promise of the promised land. Here is Akev in seven parts. Vaya Akev Tishmaun, Ace Hamishpatim Haile, Ushmartem Vasitem Otam, Vishamar Hashem Lokecha, Locha Esabris, Vesa Chesed, Asher Nishpa La Avotecha. Why does the Torah use the word Ekev to describe listening to the mitzvot? What is the meaning or significance of that very word? Rashi suggests that the word Ekev invokes within us, uh, reminds us of the heel of the foot, suggesting that we're talking about mitzvot that one treads upon, one doesn't think are significant. The Da'at Zakinim, quoting a famous Rav Shimon Bar Yechai, suggests that the Torah tells us the reward for only two of the 613 mitzvot. The same as reward is given for the most difficult mitzvah, kibud av, honoring one's parents, and the easiest mitzvah, shaluch hakan, to show that the reward is not reflected in the difficulty or the ease of any mitzvah. The Orachim adds that Ikev must refer to fulfilling the whole Torah and completing your purpose, your journey on this earth. So ends part one. Part two. V'ram levavecha v'shachachta es Hashem elokecha hamotziacha me'eretz Mitzrayim mibis avadim. Beware, lest your heart grow hoardy and you forget that it was God, your God, who freed you from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. What is the Torah concerned with? Why write this warning at this moment, right now? The Ibn Ezra suggests that the Jewish people forgot about their difficult past, their thirst and hunger as slaves, and God still provides for them nevertheless. The the Chizkuni suggests that the warning about arrogance needed to be repeated over and over and over again because it is such a prevalent problem that is hard to recognize, it's hard to overcome. Rabbeinu Bachia suggests that the root of all mistakes and sins is arrogance, and therefore we need to talk about the root. Due to the affluence and peace, a person's soul can become arrogant and smug. It is for this reason there needs to be an explicit and repeated warning against arrogance. It is the source of all 
problems, it is the source of all sins. So ends part two. Part three. Al toma bilvaucha bahadov Hashem lokecha, osam milfanecha leimar. Betzid kasi hevani Hashem le reshes as haaretz, hazos, uvereshas hagayim haela Hashem ereshami panecha. When God has thrust them from your path, say not to yourselves, the Lord has enabled us to possess the land because we are worthy. It is rather because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord is dispossessing the land from them and giving it to you. What does the Torah warn against in this verse? What's the concern here? Rashi, as explained by the Sifsei Chachamim, suggests that we should not believe that it was God's generosity that brought us to the land of Israel, but rather the wicked ways of its inhabitants caused their exile. This is an important distinction because God, who certainly loves the Jewish people, provides for us not because of this love, but because of our actions, and he takes away because of actions. Ramban suggests that there is a significance in the love God has for the Jewish people, but it is not a factor when other nations are impacted, when other nations are exiled. You can't kick out the people because God loves one nation over another. So ends part three. Part four. Be'esahi amar Hashem, Elai psal lacha shnei luchos avanim karishonim. Elai haharav asisa lacha aron eitz. God said to me, Moshe, carve out two tablets of stone like the first ones, come up to me on top of the mountain, and bring an ark of wood. Why, why is Moshe sharing this now? What is the meaning of the, of the word psalacha? carve for you. Rashi suggests that this command was given to Moshe at the conclusion of his 40 days of requesting forgiveness for the Jewish people. This forno points out that Moshe was offering a message to the Jewish people. Despite all of his pleading for forgiveness over those 40 days, the tshuva, the repentance, was not complete because God did not write the second luchot himself. The Datsakinim points out that Moshe was open to criticism for destroying the luchot that had been given to the Jewish people. That's why the Torah says, Psal lecha. Moshe was empowered to disqualify others as a king. Though it was dramatic, though it was hard, Moshe destroying the luchos left him profoundly vulnerable to criticism. That's why he needed to carve the new ones. So ends part four. Part five. Vaatal Yisrael ma Hashem lokecha shoel meimach kiim liras Hashem lokecha leleches bechol drachav uliava also velaavod as Hashem lokecha bechol levavcha ovechol naavshecha. Do you know what God wants from you? God Moshe says only this: to revere God, to walk in His path, to love Him, to serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. What does this verse add that we don't already know? Of course we're supposed to love God. Of course we're supposed to follow in his path. Rashi suggests that the sages derived from this verse 
that everything is within the control of heaven, with the exception of Yirat Hashem, the fear of heaven. The Balaturim suggests that the fact that this verse contains 100 letters connects this instruction within to the requirement to recite 100 blessings a day. Through reciting of blessings, we express our fear of heaven. The Sephorno suggests that Moshe is driving home the point that their connection with God is now entirely up to their efforts. They will no longer have a Moshe to keep them close, to keep them fearful of God. They need to know what God wants from them and how to fulfill it. So ends part five. Part six. Va'aretz ha'asheh atem ovrim shamal rishtah Eretz harim uvaka'os limtar shamayim tishtemayim The land you're about to inherit is different. It has hills and valleys. It soaks up its water from rains from the heaven. How is this land different? What are the lessons of its differences? Rashi suggests that in leaving Egypt, the Jewish people were leaving the most developed lands in the world. Even though they were leaving a superpower, the land to which they were heading would also have to be a superpower. In a very different way, though. The Ibn Ezra points out that the description of the land receiving its bounty from God connects directly to the prior discussion of observing the laws of God to find his favor. You want to succeed in this land unlike any other land? You're going to have to be connected to the divine. You're going to have to be grateful to the divine. You're going to have to understand that all comes from him. So ends part six. Part seven. If you keep all of God's mitzvot, if you keep everything God has commanded you, walking in all of his ways and staying close to him, clinging to him, then God will dislodge the nations from before you. How does one fulfill the instructions offered in this verse to emulate God in his ways and to cleave to God, Ludav Kabo? Rashi suggests that just as God is merciful and generous, we too have to be merciful and generous. The Sferno suggests that just like God deals with a world with a balance between righteousness and justice, so too must we. The Ar HaChayim HaKadosh explains that all Jewish souls are hewn in the same quarry, are made from the same stuff. That means we spiritually come from the same source, and coming close to God is actually a returning to the source. It's a returning to our collective essence. Uladav Kabo is to cling to God and to cling to each other. It's a return to our original status, our original form. And so ends part seven, and so ends Parshat Ekev. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Parsha on a Pod. Here's a final thought. Moshe, chapter 9, verse 9, reminds us that the Ten Commandments were made out of stone. They were hewn from stone. The substance of the Ten Commandments seemed to be relevant in that stone is a solid uh, one-piece object. 
It represents that though there are many parts in the Torah, there are many mitzvot, laws, instructions, stories, they all come together to formulate, to create one solid base, one solid stone. Just as there are many parts of the Jewish people, there are many mitzvot that the Jewish people observe, there are many Jewish communities where all part of that one stone, that one central stone like the Luchos. My name is Yechiel Schaffer. This has been Parsha on a Pod. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share it with a friend. Rate us on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. And we have enjoyed sharing this with you. This is Parsha Ekev, Parsha on a Pod.